Hi, this is Pastor Paul J. Chandran, and you're listening to Life Church Castle Hill Podcast. We've been on a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Today, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm not going to give you an overview of the first six chapters. Praise God. You just have to look for it on the internet. Now, the seventh chapter is you can title this entire chapter as the better chapter. Why? Because now Solomon is thinking about how life ought to be lived. From chapter 7 all the way to chapter 11, he actually deals with this one question, how life ought to be lived before God. And he considers the stewardship of life. And the first chapter, chapter 7, deals with wisdom. How many of you know, without wisdom, there is no better life? Wisdom is the one that points us to the better life. Wisdom is the one that gives us grace to cope with the inconsistencies of life. And wisdom is the one that ultimately points us to Christ, who is our ultimate life. So today, we're going to study the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. I'm titling this sermon, Wisdom for Insightful Living. And this is what I want you to take down. I want to give you two lenses to view chapter 7. Now, if you have been following our teaching, you know that I always give you lenses. Why? Because these things help you to unpack the scripture. And for chapter 7, because it is 29 verses and it's quite a lengthy chapter, and we are going to cover all 29 verses today. And uh, so put on your seatbelts and get ready. 29 verses. But I want to give you two key lenses that will help you unpack this chapter. Because without that, you will find that this is just different nuggets of wisdom that is just stringed along. But I want you to see, uh, these two lenses will act like a, a thread that holds all the diamonds together, the necklaces, the pearls together. So I want you to see this picture, because once you see it, you cannot unsee it. So what are the two lenses? This is the first lens. The assessment of wisdom about life. The assessment of wisdom. How wisdom views life. What it, exam it examines life and it observes life and it gives you an assessment of life. So the assessment of wisdom about life, that's the first lens. The second lens is the application of wisdom for life. How do I apply the wisdom? So if I want to take these two lenses, how do I apply the wisdom? In other words, application of wisdom for life. If I take these two uh, lenses, it's addressing two questions. One, why is wisdom vital for a better life? Why do I need wisdom? That's the assessment. Because once you have the assessment of wisdom for life, you will answer that question. Yes, you do need wisdom for a better life. Number two, how is wisdom applied for a better life? How is wisdom applied in the problem areas of my life? How is wisdom applied when things don't make sense, when puzzling things happen to life? So we need to understand these two things. So what is the two lenses? The one is the assessment of wisdom about life and the application of wisdom for life. I can take chapter 7 and divide it into three portions. The first 10 verses deals with Proverbs. And these Proverbs are beautiful. See, whenever you study Proverbs, you have to understand this. Proverbs is a wise man's saying something in a short form. It's a short story. It is a short parable, but it's poignant. It is filled with two things. One, it gives you an imagery. In other words, it gives you a picture. So every proverb has an image within it, built in, an imagery. So once you read a proverb, you've got to unlock and you've got to catch the essence of that picture. 
And then that picture always leads to a principle. That's the key thing. If you see the picture and fail to diagnose the principle, you still didn't get the problem. So you got to understand that there is a picture and the, behind the picture, there is a principle that he gives for life. And that's the wisdom principle we have to glean. So today, the first 10 verses deals with Proverbs about better life. In other words, the wisdom for better life. And he gives you 10 contrasts or you, I want you to see certain things and the word better will be repeated in this. Then I want to give you the second one. Chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 19. Chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 19, it talks about the wisdom for the inconsistencies of life. Sometimes life is puzzling. There are things that happen that are unexpected outcomes. There are things that happen that are unexplainable. And he wonders about these things. And he says, how do I respond when things are going like that? When bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, how do I deal with life? We're going to watch that as he unpacks from verse 11 to verse 19. And then from verse 20 all the way to verse 29, that's the last section. And the last section is wisdom for ultimate life. And I want you to pay attention to the end because he gives you the key for what is not just a better life, but what is the ultimate life. This is where I want you to pause and think about this. You know, the world actually calls you to a better life. Every advertiser knows that people are dissatisfied with what they are going through. People are dissatisfied with what they have. People are dissatisfied with what they do and how they look. So the, every advertiser knows that to target people and to say, this product, this service will make you better. In other words, it will give you a better image, a better life. I want you to pay attention to this. But the word of God says, wisdom is the only thing that not only gives you a better life, but it actually gives you a deeper life. It is not just something about bigger and greater. It is not something where you just say, okay, I have a house. Now I have a greater house, a bigger house so that I can be having a better life. No, no, no. It calls you to a wiser life. So that's why. Bible and the wisdom always calls us to deep things of God and greater things in the eyes of God. So today we're going to unpack this and I want to take you through the first 10 verses because I want you to capture the essence of it. Because he says wisdom is very important. In, in fact, go with me to verse 25. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 25. And look at the search that Solomon had. He says, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. I want you to search and underline, seek wisdom. See, he wants us to, he wanted to know and he, he sought out wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Solomon has set his heart to know what wisdom is all about. And here in this passage, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is one Greek, one Hebrew word that is unique to this book. And that Hebrew word is the word Heshbon. And I want you to see this word Heshbon in verse 25. In verse 25, it's the word scheme of things. Look at verse 25. It says, I wanted to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. The scheme of things is the explanation of things. 
Another translation in the English says, it is the sum of all things. It is the reason why I do what I do. It is the purpose for which I have been called or created. It is the, it is the reason for existence, the reason why I do what I do. And he says, if I can understand the scheme of things, See, this word is so unique. Why? Because it's not found in any other literature. It's not found in any other passage in the Bible, only in the book of Ecclesiastes. There are other words in the Hebrew for wisdom, chokmah, for example. But this one is an insight for living. It is a skillfulness to handle life. And he says, I want to understand how life functions, the scheme of things, the sum of all things, the explanation of all things. In other words, I want to know the truest meaning so that I can live life with wisdom. That is his search. So when he concludes this, this is how he concludes. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. I want you to just take these two verses down. It says, wisdom is good with an inheritance. In verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. And then verse 12 says, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Lovely. Two words I want you to pay attention to. When you have wisdom, when you understand the scheme of things, when you can explain why you do what you do, when you have the truest understanding of meaning and purpose in life, the Bible says your wisdom will actually protect you. It is almost like the protection of money. The Hebrew word there for protection carries an image of the shade. Imagine a man walking in the, in the wilderness, in the hot sun in the Middle East. He's craving for some shade. He's longing for a shade. And when he does find a shade, it is protecting him from the, the harshness of the heat in the desert. The same thing happens here. He says, protection of money. Money will sometimes act like a shield for you. It defends you because it gives you options in life when you're stuck. And he says, wisdom is like that. It will give you protection because you need to operate in wisdom. When you live in wisdom, you will have a better life. Why? Because it protects you. Wonderful. How many of you know that we need the wisdom of God? Hallelujah. Number two, he also says in verse 12, towards the end, the second part, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So two things the wisdom has. The word actually gives you in verse 11, this is having advantage. This is the advantage of having wisdom in your life. So his assessment of life is you need to have wisdom. And when you have wisdom, it gives you an advantage, an added bonus, an added advantage. The edge. What is the edge? He says the added advantage is this, that it will protect your life. And it will also preserve your life. I want you to pause and just look at this. He uses two P words, protection and preservation. When I look at it, one is the external, outward, the protection from around the adversities of life, the impact of the things that are happening in the circumstances of life. You know what is circumstance? Circumstance is uh, draw a circle and you stand in the middle. That's all it is. In other words, you are now surrounded by something. There is no options in life. You are now surrounded. And, and in that season, wisdom will help you. It will protect you. That's what it is. Not only that, preservation is not for external. It is internal. So he says wisdom actually not only helps you in the external protection of circumstances, from the circumstances, the adversities of life, but it also preserves your life. In other words, there's something about your inner life. Inwardly, it also preserves you by pointing you to true life. 
you know one when when you think when you read the book of ecclesiastes you will find him always contrasting wisdom with foolishness and he says foolishness will bring you hurt pain long term consequences ultimate destruction and here he says wisdom will protect you and preserve you so one is an outward protection and then an inward preservation of integrity of character of your um what is more valuable in life what will last beyond when all the situation all the dust settles what is something that will last beyond us these are the things that truly matter and the bible says wisdom will protect it and preserve it for us so this is what i want you to understand so with this idea that he's searching for the scheme of things and now he says you need to have this why because it gives you protection and it gives you preservation it protects you life and it protects your inward life so now let's go to chapter 1 chapter 7 and verse 1 onwards now verse 1 to verse 10 deals with the proverbs i already said to you it carries an image in other words a picture and a principle so every time you're reading a proverb always think about the picture that it points to and the principle ultimately so discern the principle every time you think of a, say even when you're traveling um now when i look at someone and i say okay think of paris well, well you don't think of paris as you don't think about the people you don't think about the politicians there or you don't think about the um map of paris but when i mention the word paris what comes to your mind immediately it's an image it's a picture what picture eiffel tower right but if you're wired towards being a, a person who is after food then you will be thinking about the good escargots you can eat or the steak tartare um but all that another story uh, london think about the word london immediately you will be thinking about the big ben or london bridge that's falling down or you'll be thinking about buckingham palace right or if you're asian and you really love your food you will be thinking about the duck rice in chinatown now all this is important why because immediately once i said a word it triggers an image within you the same thing proverbs capture an image a picture and through that picture he gives you a principle so catch the picture and glean the principle that's the key now look at this the bible says in verse 1 a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death and the day of birth now what is the picture the picture is a good name is better than the precious ointment two things he's pointing here two things he's contrasting and he says one is better than the other what is it the first is a good name is better than precious ointment good name meaning something that char- your character your inward something on the inside it's your character it's your integrity in other words it's the picture of your reputation who you are that good name is better than precious ointment what is ointment ointment could be a a, a perfume that you use and that perfume makes you smell good in fact in those days when when a rich person noble person walks around and he he smells good you can actually uh, ca- classify the class in which he comes from so here he says they the the outward outward um image you know even these days people are caught up with image isn't it image consultancy pr branding all these things are big business why because we want to project something that we are not all larger than what we are that is how world is wired and here he says don't just pay attention to the external 
Don't just pay attention to the, how people are impressed by you in the outside. So don't just be, don't just be impressed. Don't, don't just impress others with your external appearance. Be truly good on the inside. That's what he's saying. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death is better than the day of birth. Why does he say the day of death and the day of birth? You know, when you would really understand um, the, the, the meaning of what really matters is when you go to a person's funeral. A person who lived a good life, a life where the in, intact and the integrity and character had been good to the family, good to people in the community, people will start to celebrate his life, isn't it? And that's where he's bringing this whole thing. That's when ultimately the celebration of life will be. Even though people might celebrate what you have achieved and what you have done, ultimately it's who you are that matters. So he's saying this one thing. The world is preoccupied with the external, but God's people with wisdom should be preoccupied with the internal. That's the key. Then the second thing he goes on to say is, it is better to go to a house of mourning, verse 2, than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, and for by sadness of the face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Listen to me carefully. Why does he say all this? He's packing all the mourning stuff together. And he says this, to visit the house of mourning is better than visiting the house of feasting. Why? When you go into a funeral home and you're, you're confronted with the mortality of life, you're confronted with the shortness, the brevity of life. And when you're confronted with the brevity of life, you think about your own life, the impact that you're leaving behind. So you don't no longer, what, whatever that was consideration for the temporal no longer means anything. You think about the life after. Once you close your eyes, that's what chapter 6 is all about, isn't it? We meditated last week. So here he goes on to say, the moment you come to that place, you understand, I have to close this and I have to open a new one. He says, don't let your life be about external. Let it be about internal. Don't let it be about temporal. Let it be about eternal. Don't be preoccupied with temporal things. Be preoccupied with eternal things. That's what he is summarizing. Why? Because life is short. So wisdom means that you live for something significant that truly matters. You know, a man died, and before he died, he left a will. And in that will, he uh, gave his friend $12,000. And he told the friend, after my funeral is over, I want you to take this 12000 and buy a memorial stone for me. In other words, he wanted a memorial stone to be placed in his uh, tombstone, right? Now... This friend, after the funeral was over, he did buy a diamond ring. And wherever, whoever asked, wow, that's an expensive diamond ring. Yes, it cost me $12,000. It's not a diamond ring. It's a memorial stone. I'm remembering my friend. This is what people will do. I want you to listen to me. Live for what counts. Rather than being driven by external, it is about the internal. Rather than temporal, it is about the eternal. That's the wisdom life. Then he goes on to say, verse 5, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. He says, better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools. 
He puts two things. One is the rebuke of the wise. On the other side, he contrasted with the song of fools. In other words, don't be caught up in the applause of men, the praises of flattery of men, but rather listen to the wise counsel, listen to the wise rebuke. You know, as a pastor in the same church for nearly 20 years, I'm thankful to the Lord for the grace that he has given over the years. As a pastor, I, for any work we do, it's, it's a part, of, part and parcel of the job of a pastor. You, you get both criticized and you get complimented for the same things. And sometimes when you're complimented, you have to go before God and you need to offer that before the Lord and to say, Lord, it is by your grace that I've received this. All glory goes back to you. But what happens when it comes as a criticism? Sometimes criticism, we take it too personal. So many years ago, the Lord taught me to detach it from the person that gives me and the, and the things that they are saying. So I can still love that person. But then I take to heart what they say and go and process before God. So whether it comes from a teenager or whether it comes from my mentor, I take criticisms to heart to go before God and to love the person, but to go and critically analyze myself before God so that if there is any truth in it, I apply. And that, that's what Solomon says wisdom is. A better way of life is don't be just caught up in the flattery of men, but listen to the wise counsel. But can I humbly say this? When you do give rebuke, sometimes people give it to you because they are just critical people. They're just critical people. So you have to be also aware of who it is coming from. That's why he says the rebuke of the wise. You know, some people are never easily satisfied with anything, isn't it? That's right. And they will criticize for anything. So you and I, we need to recognize who it is coming from. You know, I remember the conversation I was having with my mentor, my spiritual father, Pastor Edmund. And I was, um, when, we, when we just had breakfast with Dr. Ravi, and we finished that after an hour, and uh, Dr. Ravi went to rest, and we, we went to, we, we carried on the conversation. For the next two hours, I received wise counsel, a gentle reminder, and sometimes a firm counsel. And you know what? It's, it comes at the time, at the right time, to be able to assess our life and to apply wisdom into our life. And that is the key for you and I to recognize. You and I, we need people who can come and speak lovingly into our lives. So don't run away from rebuke. Listen. And that's the wisdom, he says. Then, he says in verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. In other words, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. I want you to pay attention to this. Better is the beginning. No, better is the end than the beginning. You can start well in your relationship. You get excited, you know. In these days, the proposal, how a man proposes to his girlfriend it's filmed, it's videoed, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook Live, everything. They go dramatic, they climb a mountain or they go to the uh, to, a, to, a, to a exotic place. They do all this elaborate thing. We do. But the key question to ask is how long does the marriage last? In other words, you can always start the relationship well, but how it finishes is the key. Wisdom is not in how you begin a business. Wisdom is not found in how you, how you start a church, how you start a ministry. Don't jump into starting. you got to count wisdom. But the key is to finish well. So he says, celebrate how you ended things. That's the better life. So when you have wisdom, you're not paying attention to how I started. You may have a bad start in life. Doesn't matter. What matters in life is how you finish. That's why the great men of God that I know, 
Every time I've sat down with them, the one thing they always impress on my heart is, doesn't matter where you're today, make sure you finish well. Make sure you run the race, keep the faith, and finish well. Why? Because one day we need to hear from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. So better is the end than the beginning. You know, one of the key things that you and I, we need to understand is you can't finish well unless you learn how to persevere. And that's what wisdom will teach you. Years ago, I was teaching this to my boys. I was saying, you know, KFC, you guys love KFC. You know how KFC started? Colonel Sanders, he, he was retired. He was a veteran and he did not have, uh, um, he couldn't retire well and he needed, to, he needed to survive. He was poor. So he only had one thing in his hand, the recipe for a chicken, a chicken recipe. So he went to different restaurants and started knocking on the doors and said, I have a good recipe. If you take this and you make the chicken and you sell chicken, can you give me a percentage of your profit? That's all I'm asking. And they rejected him, rejected his proposal. And he kept on knocking on different restaurants, going to different states. He actually drove around and started to look for a restaurant that would be willing. You know how many restaurants he knocked on the door? Thousand and nine. You and I would have gave up on it in the 10th restaurant. Some of you maybe go up to 100. But 1,009th restaurant said yes, and the rest is history. You and I, we need to pay attention to this. Wisdom says it's not how you began, but how you finish. So persevere. That's the key. Now, when you come into this, what he's addressing in all these verses, he's basically saying, you want wisdom for better life? It is found not in being preoccupied with the outward, but rather being preoccupied by the internal, the authenticity, not just accomplishments of life, but the authenticity of life. Not just be impressed on the external, you know? Don't just be impressive, uh, impressive for others on the external. You know, can I humbly say this for the young people who are listening to me? This is the age where people want to look good on social media. And so, you know, young people, they are caught in this, uh, in this new phenomenon uh, of impressing others. You know, people are impressed with your little, little art you do or the little craft you do or the little <laughs> tricks you do. Can I humbly say this? Don't focus on impressing others. Keep focusing. Wisdom says keep focusing on improving yourself. If you keep improving yourself day to day, day to day, from week to week, you're improving yourself, the world will celebrate you. That's the key. You don't have to look for impressing others. They will be impressed. But don't impress others. That's the foolishness. Don't get wired towards that. Wired yourself towards improving yourself constantly, week after week, and craft your skill, hone your gifts, sharpen your edge. One day will come when God will uncover you and you will be discovered. Listen to me carefully. I don't know why I said that, but I want you to pay attention to this. This is the wisdom. So he goes on to say, don't be like this. There is a better way to live life. Now, along the way, there is also some dangers that he pays attention to. I want you to go with me to verse, uh, verse 7. There are four dangers he highlights in 1 to 10, in verses 1 to 10. Look at verse 7. He says, a bribe corrupts the heart. I want you to circle the word corrupts. A bribe corrupts the heart. Along the way, he looks at the political life and he says, guys, you come into position of power, of influence, but you need to have wisdom there. Otherwise, you will be on a slippery slope. What? A little bribe corrupts the heart. And once your heart is corrupted, in other words, greed comes in. 
And once greed comes in, you're dissatisfied with what you have. There is no contentment. There is no wisdom anymore. You're not thinking. You're not functioning in your reasonings. You end up going down a path that will ultimately derail you from the path of wisdom. I want you to listen to me carefully. Corruption is like this. You know, one great man of God said, it is not the sin that leaps into your life that I'm concerned about. It is the sin that creeps into your life that I'm concerned about. Many times we are concerned about the big sins that leap into our life. Oh, those are big temptations. But what about the little ones? The corruptions that come subtly into our life and start to influence us, nudge us into the wrong direction. So that's why you and I, if we have wisdom, we will reflect and pay attention to every aspect. Story was told of a, a man who was a smuggler. And the police who are in the border protection, they knew this guy is a smuggler. It's a, it's a land border between two countries. And every week at the exact time, he will ride on his motorbike and he will come in to the land. And they know he is smuggling something. So they search him and they ask him, what are you bringing this week? And he will say, I'm bringing rocks. Every week he kept saying, I'm bringing rocks. And they will search him. They can't find anything, only the rocks. So they let him go. This has been going on for two years. And one day, one police officer could not control his curiosity. So he pulled him aside and said, I'm speaking to you off duty. I'm just so curious. We know you're smuggling something, but we don't know what you're smuggling. Can you tell me? I won't tell anybody. I swear. I won't. But can you tell me? He said, if you swear and you don't want to tell anybody, then I'll tell you. I'm smuggling motorbikes. They, was, they were focused on the rocks, but they didn't look at what he was smuggling. This is what happens. You focus on some big things, and you miss out on the little pride that creeps in. That's exactly what he's talking about here. He says, the moment corruption comes into your heart, you forget all the 99 good that God has done for you, and you go after that ungrateful, being ungrateful, you look after something that is not yours, you touch. Wisdom says, don't let corruption Corrupt your heart. Come. Next one. He says in verse 8. Verse 8, the second part of verse 8, he says, Patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. This is a warning he gives. Don't be proud in the spirit. You know what is proud here? The proud. He, he, I want you to look at how he contrasts these two. He says patient in spirit. And he should have said better than impatient in spirit. But instead he says patient in spirit is contrasted with the haughtiness in spirit. Pride in spirit. In other words, impatience, the root of the impatience is actually pride. Listen to me carefully. We wanted everything. We want everything yesterday. But it doesn't happen that way. There are waiting seasons in our lives. When you sow a seed, you reap the harvest in the next season, not in the same season. You plant a seed in a woman. She gives birth after nine months, not immediately the next day. In other words, you've got to wait for that season to come. But when you're impatient, it is because there's a pride within your heart. You don't want to trust God and his timing. You take matters into your own hand. And that is where you become impatient. And he says, the better wisdom life is this. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. It's not how you started. But if you want to finish well, be patient in spirit. Impatience will only lead you to more greater frustration. A story was told of a, a store owner, very old man. He had one of those high shelves, you know. 
and there are some stuff that doesn't move every day. So he places it on very high shelf. So he climbs up on a ladder and then he takes the and serves the customers. A few little boys, young toddler, uh, uh, young fellows came into the store, and one of them said, "I want fifty cents of fish hooks." And this man looked for the fish hook. It's on the top shelf. So he climbed all the way to the top and took and brought down 50 cents worth of fish hooks and gave it to the first boy. Then he asked the second boy, what do you want? The second boy said, I want 50 cents worth of fish hook. He was like, why didn't you tell me before? He had to climb all the way. And while he climbed up there and then he was getting the 50 cents worth of fish hook, he looked at the third boy and he said, do you want 50 cents worth of fish hook? He said, no, sir. So he left it there and he came back and he gave it to the second boy. And he asked the third boy, what do you want? He said, I want $1 worth of fish hook. You understand what I'm saying? There are people who will test your patience. But life and wisdom says, if you're impatient, the root issue is actually pride. It's your ego that gets hurt. Oh, they are overlooking me. No. You're just impatient. Listen to me carefully. Wait for the timing of God. Let God lift you high. That's the better way of life. So once is to, uh, and the third thing he says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Wow. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. What he's saying is, what is the danger along the way? Anger. When you're so angry, it usually is because you are frustrated about what has been given to you. You are, you, are, you, are, you are emotionally charged up. That toxic emotion, I talked about it in one of my sermons, Managing Your Emotions series we did. But I want you to listen to me carefully. Anger is the result of a complaining spirit that you already have. Anger is the result of a critical spirit that you already have. Anger is because of a comparing spirit that you already have that's why for you to deal with anger you got to deal with the complaining spirit the critical spirit and the the spirit that compares with others and when you really want to develop an, a, a, a management of anger you got to help your heart to become more grateful and thankful to the lord a grateful heart will not be angry you know my wife and i we've been married for 20 years we know each other for 21 years and many times I'm thankful, I'm thankful to the Lord that I'm married to a wise woman. She knows that she has so much wisdom, better than me, right? She has, a, she has a track record to show me that. But I love this, that she will always, um, she, she knows when to push the button and she knows when to hold it back. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. Because I've seen in families where Wives become too critical of the husband and they become very upset. And the anger always shows up in the way they speak and the way they put down their husbands in front of others. Don't do that. My wife never does that. She does it in private. Uh, not in front of people, I mean. This is important. Why? Because you and I, we need to understand what is the wisdom way here. The wisdom is if there is an anger towards you completely, towards a person, it's because you have not developed a grateful heart. So that's why in this passage he is saying, listen to the wisdom of the rebuke, the wisdom, the wisdom of the wise. The wisdom of the wise is that they, they pay attention to the rebuke and they, they don't lodge anger in their hearts. 
if you just dislodge that anger from your heart and be grateful for the situation that you're in, do you know what? You will learn some precious wisdom principles right now. God bless you. The next one he goes on to say is this. In verse 10, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Look at this. He says, it's a danger of living in the past. When you and I are living continuously in the past, one of the key things is that he keeps thinking about the good old days. Look, why were the former days better than these? A person, when he looks back into the past, he either sentimentalizes past or he says the best days were behind me. That means he, you know, some people just live in the past. They're stuck. I want you to listen to me. There are pivotal events that will take place in life. Unexpected outcomes. Inconsistencies of life. But what Solomon is saying is wisdom will help you to assess and come to a place where you apply wisdom and say, God has promised me a great future. If I give, you know, one day, I remember the time I sat down with my mentor and start and shared my journey 20 years in this nation of Australia in the same church what I went through in the hands of carnal people what I went through the pain that I went through in in life and the journey that I when I have only had the privilege of sharing that whole life just opened my heart and shared it with only a few key people in my life they are my spiritual fathers or my mentors. And what every time I've always seen them come back with the same thing. There's tears rolling down their eyes and say, wow, we don't understand, but it's amazing how God has led. I tell you what, if I keep rehearsing the past and keep looking back, I'll forget the promise that he has made and the future that he has given us as a destiny. So continue to look forward to the future. Forget the past. Forget the past. Let it go. And let God, and that's the way of wisdom, because he has better days ahead for you. The best is yet to be. And I want you to thank God for the, take a moment, and I want you to give the Lord a clap offering. Come on, hallelujah. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering? Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you, mighty God. So now he has just helped you to understand the wisdom on, on the, on the, on the, the, for the better life. I want to take you quickly to the wisdom for the inconsistencies of life. Look at this. Look at verse number 13. Consider the work of God, he says. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. I want you to pay attention to the theology in this question. See, wisdom, he already says in verse 11, gives you protection. In verse 12, he says, wisdom gives you preservation of life. Now he says, wisdom gives you a divine perspective of life. Look at this. He says the perspective is consider. Consider the work of God. What is the work of God? That he has made both. What are the two things that God has made here? Verse 14 says, the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Both the day of prosperity and the day of adversity, both are made by God. This is where I want you to understand this. I know there are popular preachers and many preachers who just don't think about life deeply. They get up and they keep talking about, you know, you can avoid adversities of life. 
Can I humbly say this? No matter what, even if you're in the center of the will of God, adversities and part and puzzle of life. Yes, you can quote Psalm 91 over and over again in this COVID season. That doesn't necessarily mean that there is, uh, just because I rehearsed this as a mantra, that some supernatural thing, I will be avoided in certain adversities. Can I humbly say this? We believe in the promises of God, but we do believe that we have a sovereign God who is good and who is wise and he's always in control, but he will bring his purposes come to pass and his purposes include days of prosperity and a day of adversity. Listen to me carefully. Why? Because when you go through the deepest, darkest hour, God does his deepest work in your life. We call this in Life Church your necessary journeys. He molds your shapes your character. He's not just interested in keeping you happy. He wants you to be holy. He just doesn't want you to be just comfortable in life. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. So he does allow certain things. Otherwise, foolishness will dictate this. You know what foolishness will say? It will be like the wife of Job. Do you know what Job chapter 2 and verse uh, 9 and 10? Do you know what the Bible says in Job chapter 2 verse 9? It says the wife said to Job, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10 says, Job said to her, you speak one of a foolish woman. You speak like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive adversities? That's the word there. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, Job had the right perspective. The right perspective is both the good and the adversities come from God. And they come not to torment you for just destruction, but they come there to humble you so that you recognize the sovereignty of God and you give yourself back to him. This is important. And then he goes on to explain how we need divine perspectives in the inconsistencies of life. He does look at life. Look at this, verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Look at the contrast. Righteous man dies young and a wicked man lives long life. A righteous man who practiced righteousness perishes. A wicked man who practiced wickedness is prolonged in his wickedness. And he says, how can this be? Look at verse 16. Therefore, he concludes something. He asks us a rhetoric, he asks us a question. This is the question. Be not overly righteous. In other words, don't be too much righteous. And do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And then verse 17. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So because he looks at the consistencies, righteous die young and the wicked prolong their life, then what's the point of being righteous? Do I just let it go of being righteous and be a wicked man? But he knows he, that's not the answer. So when you go in verse 17, he says, don't be overly wicked. Doesn't, doesn't mean that you can be a little bit wicked. He says, don't be wicked. Don't just drop righteousness. Don't just be a little bit righteous. You've got you to gotta understand, the man of wisdom is when you look at the inconsistencies of life, you acknowledge the sovereignty of God. You acknowledge that God is author of both the good days and he doesn't author evil, but he permits evil sometimes to accomplish his purposes and the ultimate purpose. 
So in other words, when you come into that place of understanding how life works, how God is interested in the intricacies of your life, then you can look at the inconsistencies of your life and you can still hold on to God. So what is the wisdom? How do you respond in wisdom? This is how you respond. Verse 18 says, it is good that you should take hold of this. What is the this? It is wisdom. And from that, withhold not your hand. What is the other one? He's saying two things. Don't let go of this. Hold on to this. And also hold on to the other one. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Hallelujah. I want you to circle the word, the one who fears God. That's the theology. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So when you fear God, it's the beginning of wisdom. So now he says, when you, a man fears God, look at verse 18 again. When a man fears God, this is what he's saying. When a man fears God, he will hold on to two things. What are the two things? The two things is actually mentioned in verse 16. What is mentioned? Righteousness and wisdom. Don't be overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Do you know righteousness and wisdom will keep you? That's the key things that will protect you and preserve your life inwardly and outwardly even in the midst of inconsistencies of life. Many times when people go through hardships, they actually become fools. Let me say that. With, let me pause there and say that again. Why I use that word, they become fools? Because they defy God. They deny God. They reject God's authority and sovereignty over their life. Can I humbly say this? Only a fool says in his heart there is no God. But I want you to come back to this place to recognize that God is sovereign. God is good. God is wise. God is in control. God will bring his purposes come to pass in my life. Therefore, I will give my life and trust him. And that is what wisdom will dictate to you. Wisdom will give you how to handle, how to cope with the inconsistencies of life. Hallelujah. And he says, a one who fears God will hold on to both righteousness. He won't let go of his righteousness. Because better is the end than the beginning. Can I humbly say this? If you're going through a tough time, can I say this quickly? Don't give up on God. Rather than questioning the goodness of God, trust in the godness of God. Rather than questioning the goodness of God, trust in the godness of God. He's not finished with you. And by the time he's finished with you, it'll be glorious. When you look back, you will give thanks and you say, hallelujah, I didn't know how but I held on to my righteousness like Job did. I held on to the way of wisdom, the pathway of wisdom. I held on to God. I feared God. And that wisdom gave me consistency, gave me that certainty that God is not finished with me. He did what he had planned and purpose. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering? Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to take you to the last portion. And we're going to finish this soon. But listen to me carefully. In, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, all the way to verse 29. He gives you the ultimate wisdom for ultimate life. And he examines life and he looks at people around him. And this is what he says in verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. I want you to circle this. There is no man that is righteous on earth that is not who consistently do good and never sins. Isn't that what the Bible says in the New Testament? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So listen to me carefully. What is ultimate wisdom? Ultimate wisdom is to recognize the depravity of our human soul. 
Ultimate wisdom is to recognize our need for a savior. See, man in this world goes around thinking that he is fine. See, the world promises them a better life. Or you're buying a better badge in your car, a, a car with a better badge. Therefore, you have a better life. Or you are having a salary packet that has this amount of zeros behind it. This figure, this digits, wow. That means you are living a better life. Can I humbly say this? It all talks about the temporal life. But one day, when you close your eyes on earth, you have to give an account for your life and you will spend eternity either with God or away from God. And the Bible says here, no one is good because all have sinned. No one can consistently not sin. And the sin that the Bible always talks about is man had rejected God. Can I humbly say this? Sin defies God and defiles man. You are and I, we are defiled already because we are born into this world in sin. That's why you got to recognize I'm not I'm the depravity of the human heart. And there is a solution. So first, you got to acknowledge the problem. Then only the solution. If you're an evangelist, can I humbly say this? Or if you're doing an evangelism during this blessed strategy that we have, can I humbly say this? Before you give them the good news, you have to give them the bad news. You cannot hide away from the bad news. The bad news is that they are going to go to eternal destruction. Life without God is eternity in hell, in torment. That's the life without God. And that life without God, we need to help them see it. And when that, then you share the good news. But can I humbly say this? God has not called you to be a converter. God only called you to be a witness. You just witness the good news, how God changed your own life, how you were from bad to good, from dead to life. You share your story. Let the Holy Spirit use that to transform their heart. Can I say an amen? Hallelujah. The Bible says here, he looks at this and he says, surely there is not a righteous man, verse 20, on earth who does good and never sins. And then if he, he looks at people and goes, some people may object to it and say, no, but I have been good. Verse 21 and 22 is for you. He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Why? Verse 22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. <laughs> The Bible says here something about cursing, something that people say. Why Solomon suddenly uses this? You know, for unlocking this, I need to go to James. Because James, when he gives, when he writes in the New Testament, how to live a godly life, he actually says a man cannot be perfect until he knows how to tame his tongue. And when you control your tongue, when you tame your tongue, that is when you live a perfect life. Look at verse 2. And he goes on to give three pictures. James gives us three pictures. We need to bridle our tongue just like a horse is, uh, is put bits of bridle around it to control it. We need to learn to control our tongue. The second picture he gives is that you, like a small ship has a small rudder in it. And that rudder is the one that gives you the control. Your tongue is like the rudder. It, it shows you the directions in which you go. And thirdly, he paints a picture of fire. A small fire can actually burn up the entire forest. 
And therefore he says, your tongue is like a little spark, a little fire. So be careful. Your life could be filled with destruction if you don't know how to control this. So wisdom says, control your tongue. Verse 8 says, but tongue cannot be controlled. Human being can tame the tongue. No human being. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's why you and I, we need to acknowledge there is no one righteous for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the next thing he goes on to say, Solomon writes here, he says here in verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has, what, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? What does he mean by this? I search for wisdom. He says, I search for human wisdom and I search for all the wisdom and yet I discovered I cannot meet the end of wisdom. In other words, wisdom is too deep. See, you could pride yourself with the number of degrees you have in your life, the number of alphabets behind your name, after your name. But can I humbly say this? All the credentials, even if you have come out of an Ivy school, Ivy League school, or if you have come out from a very prestigious institution and you are a teacher or a, or a leader of a prestigious institution, listen to me carefully. Even the wisdom you have is very limited. That is what Solomon concludes because he says, I went to search, verse 24, that which has been is far off, far off and deep and very deep, deep and very deep. Verse 24, very deep. Who can find it out? I want you to pay attention to this. You can't search. You can't find it. But then he goes on to say, who will be able to find? This is where I'm reminded of a story. Let me give you this story. I think people will enjoy this story. One man was taking so much pride <laughs> in how much he knows about football. He was in the midst of his friends and he was having a party in his house and they were watching football match and he was he was talking about all the scores and all the records of each player. And his young boy was next to him. So he wanted to impress the young boy to say how much he knows. So he tells the young boy, you can ask me any question about football. Ask me anything about football. I know I can answer it. So the young boy looked at his father in the, middle of all, in the midst of all his friends and asked him this question. How many holes are there in the football net? And the father got stunned. He didn't know the answer. I want you to listen to me carefully. We take pride in what we know. And Solomon says, even whatever you know, even how you have handled this COVID crisis, how you have actually walked in wisdom, you have invested your money, you have made money, you did all that. Can I humbly say this? You're going to leave everything behind. and You're going to go empty-handed. Eternity matters. That's what Solomon is saying. Even if you're wise and you take pride in your wise, you're not wise enough unless you have God in your life. Look at this in verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. Woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Listen to me carefully. This is the cry of Solomon. He observes how human beings live. Leave that verse. This is how human beings live. There are two mental, there are two pictures he gives. Look at the first picture. The first picture he gives is snares and nets set by a hunter. This woman is like a hunter. 
and she has captivated a man and secondly his hands are in fetters in chains so one is the picture of a hunter putting up snares and nets the other one is a prison keeping that person locked up and he says the life of foolishness is a prison the life of foolishness will keep you in bondage it will ensnare you but the life of wisdom is this he who pleases god escapes her but the sinner is taken by her what is the application of wisdom here the application of wisdom is if you fear god you have wisdom if you live a life that pleases god See he is not saying a future intention of pleasing God. Look at that language there. He is not saying he who will please God escapes her. No no no. He who lives a life that pleases God. It is not future intention of behavior, it's present condition of heart. Not a future intention, but present condition. The present condition is my heart already walks in a manner that pleases him. I fear God in chapter in in verse uh, in verse uh, In verse 18 he already said the one who fears God will hold on to righteousness and will hold on to wisdom now in verse 26 he says the one who pleases God will escape the snare can i humbly say this this is the snare that many of them are still in woman can be two things here woman could be the lust the appetites of men that keep them in bondage keep them focusing on the external keeping them focused on the temporal and keeping them in a locked up prison that they can't see the divine perspective or women could be real lust and solomon is a man who had 1000 women look at this the bible says in in first kings chapter is that what's the verse that i have first kings chapter 11 and verse 3 he had 700 wives who were his princesses and 300 concubines no concubines and his wives turned away his heart circle that thousand women and yet he was not satisfied why because his heart was pulled away by these women away from god that is foolishness that's the ensnare that he's talking about now i want you to listen to me if you're a young person listening to me this woman represents the easy money you know in these days everybody wants to get quick rich The quick rich scheme always changes. It could be the cryptocurrency that's coming up or it could be the uh, gold value going up and down, it could be anything. It's the quick, you know, if I buy this now, the stocks the uh, it's speculating in the market and doing things and all that because easy money. Human heart is always gravitated towards the easy money. And human hearts also is gravitated towards easy sex. And that's exactly what he's saying. That's the snare. A why a wise man stays away from it how not because he has self control and self will because he fears god and he pleases god because he has god in his life therefore he is spared from her and solomon says i search for people who will understand this i want you to listen to me go with me to verse 27 or verse 28 when my soul sought repeatedly but i have not found one man among a thousand i found <laughs> out of 1000 men he found one man that was is willing to let go of foolishness and embrace wisdom fear god and please god but then he goes on to say in verse in the same verse but a woman among all these i have not found wow one man among 1000 he found but one woman among 1000 he didn't find now 
I don't want you to become upset if you're a woman. Solomon is not making a statement that women are not philosophical enough, they can't understand wisdom enough. Actually, he portrays women in Proverbs as wisdom. So he's not belittling women. He's actually making a public confession of his own life. He says, out of thousand men that I have spoken to, one man I found that wants to seek God, that wants to understand the scheme of things, the explanation of things, the meaning of things, the sum of all things, and want to let go of foolishness and embrace wisdom. Even in the midst of inconsistencies, embrace wisdom. Live a life of righteousness. Live a life of wisdom. Live a life that fears God and pleases God and holds on to God. But one woman I did not find in the thousand women that he had. He had thousand women, but all the thousand women turned away his heart from the Lord. So this is the truth. Verse 29, and I will end with this. It says, see this alone. I found that God made man upright. Isn't that how God created man? God made man upright. In another translation, it says, man, God made man simple, but they sought out many schemes. In other words, you are the genius that has complicated your own life. God made your life simple, but you are the genius who complicated your life. Why? Because you gravitate towards the external, you gravitated towards the temporal, you gravitate towards impressing others, you gravitate towards starting well, but not finishing well. But if you truly are a man of wisdom, you will come back to God who created you to be simple. He created you to be upright. How? That's the whole passage here. Can I give you three things in application? One, he says, go with me to verse 18. The verse 18 says, hold on to both. Hold on to both. What is the both that he talks about? The one who fears God shall hold on to both. What is the both? Walk in righteousness. Walk in wisdom. Walk in righteousness. To walk in wisdom, to walk in righteousness, the key is to fear God. How do I fear God? I give my life to Him and I acknowledge that He is sovereign over my life. He's sovereign over all the happenings in my life. And I keep myself humble before Him. And I fear Him. I worship Him. I acknowledge Him. That's the key. The second key He gives in verse, in verse 20, He says, There is no one righteous because everyone sins. That means you and I, we need to acknowledge that we are sinners who need God to save us. It gives me a practical application. Not only walk in righteousness, not only walk in wisdom, it gives me the third one. Walk in true repentance. Acknowledge the sin in your life. Today, if you do not have Jesus in your life, if you are not giving your life to Jesus, if your heart is close towards God, you are walking in sin. And sin defies God, defiles man. So you got to pay attention to this. You got to deal with it. Walk in repentance. The only way you can repent is come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you died for me. My sins you bore. The penalty for my life you paid. So my life is spared because you died. And because you died, I can now live. I can be forgiven. I can be blessed because you were cursed. And today I can come before you and I can walk in wisdom. Can I humbly say this? That walk in true repentance is important. So Solomon concludes by saying this. One, fear God. Number two, hold on to God. How? Please Him. That's your Christian life, church. Your Christian life and my life is to fear Him and to 
walk in a manner that pleases him hallelujah but in conclusion can i bring this what is wisdom we are going through the wisdom literature but solomon lived prior to christ so he didn't understand fully the wisdom that he was talking about he knew that his life needed wisdom but in 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 the bible wisdom is not a thing to possess it is a person to receive let me say that again wisdom is not a thing to possess it is not more knowledge wisdom is not about accumulating more knowledge wisdom is actually about giving your life it's a skill to give your life to receive a person into your life and to acknowledge that he is my wisdom that's why first corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 the bible declares this read it together because of god you are in christ jesus who became to us wisdom from god righteousness sanctification and redemption jesus has now become for us wisdom from god he is the wisdom of god he is the righteousness of god he is the sanctification that came from god for us and he is our redemption he is our redeemer who redeemed us hallelujah can i humbly say this wisdom is not searching for more knowledge wisdom is getting to know him and acknowledging that jesus you came to die for this man a sinful man there is no righteousness in me apart all my righteousness all my moral deeds are like filthy rags before you i need to humble myself to acknowledge that jesus you are my righteousness you came to die for me so that i can be set free and today i acknowledge your righteousness is given to me and because i hold on to your righteousness i fear god i hold on to righteousness i hold on to jesus who is my wisdom and because i fear god i hold on to righteousness who is jesus hold on to wisdom which is jesus i live a life that pleases jesus hallelujah and when you are pleasing jesus every single moment of your life can i humbly say this you will not be trapped by the woman who sets a snare you will not be trapped by the chains that bind you so if you want to walk in freedom this is the key so what is a better life the better life is not just bigger and better that the world talks about the better life in christ is the deeper and wiser life having jesus in your life and giving him your life every head bow every eye close all across this place if you're watching me and you have never given your life to jesus i want you to take the step of wisdom today i want you to take the greatest decision that you will ever make in the face of the earth the decision is not so much how much money i can make or what house can i buy or which car i can drive or what kind of no 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 none of that matters the greatest decision that you will ever make in this world is to receive wisdom and that wisdom is jesus receive him into your life before it is too late because one day when you close your eyes on earth you will be determined you if you haven't received jesus you will be spending eternity away from the presence of god in torment in hell the bible says but the moment you receive him you give that wisdom into your life you bring wisdom into your life you bring righteousness into your life you no longer belong to yourself you belong to him so you fear him you worship him you please him he will take you into eternity with him and forever you will be in his presence enjoying ultimate life that eternal life that he promised can i humbly say this don't miss this opportunity 
Oh, hallelujah. Father, I pray that you open their eyes. Father, I pray that you give them listening ears. Father, would you soften that heart that needs to respond to the gospel? This is the good news. And I pray in the name of Jesus that today is the day of salvation for that person. Indeed, that foolishness will leave their heart. That stubbornness will leave their heart. And good wisdom from God. The download of God's heavenly wisdom will come upon them. That they will give their life completely to Christ. And they will walk in the fear of God. And walk in a manner that's worthy in pleasing God. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for every person that is listening to me. Even if they have been a Christian for a few years or many years. I pray let them evaluate their life this morning. Evaluate their life to continue to hold fast to Jesus. Who is the wisdom of God and the righteousness of God for us forever. Thank you Lord. I thank you for this wonderful privilege of opening your word. Continue to minister to our hearts. We thank you Lord. In Jesus name. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the word of God. We love you. If you want to connect with our church, go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 